And today we're going to look at, again, the subject of the Pharisees. We're going to look at what we could call Phariseeism versus the Lord's way. Phariseeism or Pharisaism versus the Lord's way. And this whole chapter is about this group of people that were had, is in Jesus' day that were dominating a lot of the religious scene. And this group of people should have accepted him, but they didn't because of how they were bent. And, but there's much to learn from them because Phariseeism can creep up in all types of uh, ways and it can be, develop in the church as well. So let's just read verses 1 through 12, and our plan is to deal with all 12 verses. Last week we just dealt with a few of the first verses. <clears throat> our plan is to deal with all 12 verses, and we want to compare um, their way versus the way that Jesus has for those who believe on Him, and just the way to live for God and without being um, pretentious and uh, basically like these Pharisees. So let's notice here, Matthew 23, verses 1 to 12. <clears throat> then spake Jesus to the multitude, saying, <clears throat> pardon me, and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens grievous to, and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and, and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi, but be ye not called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren." And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. So again, you have, as we look at this passage, you have two ways to live Christianity. You can live Christianity following kind of the style of scribes and Pharisees, or you can live Christianity how Jesus says to do it. There's two, sometimes there's more than one way to get to a place, uh, you know. You can take uh, different roads to get to Flagstaff. It's a little easier just to get on I-17. You can take some back roads to get to Tucson. It's a little easier to take I-10, uh, things like that. But in this case, there's a, there, it's not just, well, this is a legitimate way to live the Christian life is by copying Pharisees type of ways. The legitimate way to live the Christian life is to follow the Christ of the Christian life, to not follow men, to not follow men's traditions, to not follow men's ways. It's easy for us to, to copy our Christianity after a group of people or a group of men or a movement. Ultimately, our cornerstone goes back to Jesus. He's the original reference point of what Christianity should look like. Did you know when, they're, when, you're, fixing a, when you're fixing, there's surveyors out there. They survey landscape. They survey, uh, um, 
you know, when they're going to build something, they're going to do some groundwork or civil engineering, surveyors come out and they find points of references. And you have to establish a point of reference if, and if you're going to locate a building or if you're going to grade, a, uh, uh, grade a, uh, some land or establish a road. You have to have points of references that are solid and unmovable, and that's what surveyors do. Even with vehicles, some of us that have vehicles, if you ever get in a bad accident, if your car's not totaled, but it's fixable, um, even men that work on what's called frame machines, it's kind of like a chiropractor for your car, um, guys that do work on frame machines and straighten out unibodies, they open up a book or they go on a computer program and there's points of references that they start with on your vehicle and they go from there, those measured points of references to know how to twist and turn and pull to put your vehicle back in place. Same thing with Christianity. If you ever feel like Christianity is, man, my Christianity is kind of out of whack or I'm not sure about my church or whatever, everything comes back to the original, the master. Jesus is the point of reference. He's the cornerstone. That's how you build a building too. After Once you've got a, 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 a pad established and a solid soil, you, you start with a, a footer or a cornerstone and everything, that's the point of reference. Jesus is the point of reference. He's the cornerstone for all of Christianity, not just in salvation, but for how you live as well. There's two ways to live. You can wait, live the way of the Pharisees or you can live the way of Christ. In this chapter, Jesus, uh, it's about Pharisaism, Pharisaism, which is religious hypocrites uh, that Jesus calls out. They wear the garb of being spiritual, even their clothing. There's nothing wrong with having nice clothing, but they wear, and we're going to get into what that was, uh, they wear the garb of being spiritual. They seem to be pious. They seem to be um, men and uh, women, m- primarily in this case, men of God, but they're bogus, and Jesus calls them out. Jesus calls them out publicly, these Pharisees, for being phonies. And He shows their true nature. This whole chapter, He shows their true nature. He gets into a series of woe, woe, woe. Woe doesn't mean, hey, slow down, horse. Woe means this is terrible for you. And he calls out conditions that these these groups of Pharisees have gotten themselves in and some of the things they do. And he calls out a series of woes that we'll get to, Lord willing, and perhaps next week. And he warns against their style. He warns against their style. And so we want to take heed against Pharisaism. Let me just say this. A person is not a Pharisee if they have high standards. Just because I've heard people say, oh, that person's just a Pharisee or they're just a legalist. And I'm like, what? Why? Well, they have this for their music standard and dress standard. I'm like, so? That doesn't make you a Pharisee? Then NASA is a Pharisee. Yeah. NASA has high standards for how clean things are, and so does Intel, and, and their, their specs and, and tolerances, then they're Pharisees. Having high standards doesn't make you a Pharisee or a legalist. If you want to have high standards, you can have high standards on the type of clothing you have, the type of particular music, particular diet, whatever, name it, whatever. If you have higher standards than most, that doesn't make you a Pharisee. It's your attitude about it. If you have a holier-than-thou attitude about it, then that, then we start getting to be a Pharisee. Or if you have, or if you say you have these high standards, but you're really one other thing behind the scene, you're definitely a Pharisee because Jesus calls that out pretending to be something righteous but being something else behind the scenes. That's definitely a Pharisee. Or, you know, or carrying an air of pride, that's a definite thing. You know, you can be a liberal Pharisee and a conservative Pharisee. 
There's a lot of liberals like, I'm not like those despised conservative people over there that voted for Trump. And then there's some Trump voters like, I'm not like those godless Biden people that voted for Biden. And you can have like a pharisaical attitude about your politics even. Pharisee just means when you're very proud and you have this better than thou attitude all the time. There's contemporary churches that are pharisaical and there's non-contemporary churches like conservative type churches like us that can be pharisaical. We, have, we can be like, we're holier than you. We're a holier than thou. And they can be like, we're hipper than thou. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And you can have that attitude. Hipper than thou or holier than thou. That means you're just proud and you can be kind of like a Pharisee in your own little camp. Um, and there, it goes on. So I, I, just to understand that this, this mold, this leaven, this bacteria can grow in any of us. So Jesus here, our points here, we're going to take heed to two of their ways that he brings out, and then we're going to look at his way. So three points. First point is we're going to look at their manner of the Pharisees. We looked at it a little bit last week, and we'll develop that. And then we're going to look at their uh, motive of the Pharisees, their manner, then their motive. And then the third point is we're going to look at just the way of the Lord. And that just tackles these 12 verses. And if we just square ourselves up to things like this, stuff we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount, if we square ourselves up to what Jesus is saying, we'll be fine. You know, these type of things that Jesus rebukes can grow in us. But... If we take heed to what he's saying, we'll be fine. Let's look at their manner. Again, we touched on this last week. Their manner is this. The primary thing is they say and do not. Notice verse 3 and 4. Jesus said that they have a place of teaching and authority in Moses' seat. He says, all therefore, they, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. He's saying, hey, if they're teaching Moses, they're teaching the Bible, do, it, do what they say because it's the Bible. However, he says... Do not do how they live. Do not do after their works, for they say and do not. So they have a good message, but not a good manner of life. When they come up to the synagogue lectern and speak, it's so nice that when we know how they live, it's a shame they ever came away from the lectern. And when we see how they live away from the lectern in their personal life, it's a shame that they ever went up to the lectern. It's easy to, to say and do not. It's not hard to develop messages, even as a pastor or a teacher. It's not hard to develop messages. And there is a gift to it. There's a certain gift to teachers and pastors and evangelists. But, it's, but you, know, you pray and you want to find God's lead. But it's not hard to, to deliver it. I heard, I met, I was at this one meeting. I was at this one meeting one time. It was a group of pastors. I'm not usually go to ecumenical stuff. This was a smaller meeting. It was legally, it was pertaining to legal issues for pastors. And there was pastors of all sorts in the East Valley at this. And we were kind of sharing. And there was a pastor of a large church in the East Valley. And he said, man, he says, I, I'm finding it. I can preach these messages, but man, I'm finding it hard to live them. And I know what he was saying. He, and he was older too. And he was talking about, and he named a few of the issues that was difficult. 
it's not always hard to give a message just like I'm doing right now. It's, it's sometimes hard to live it. But if I fail to live it, giving the message is not enough to make me pleasing to Christ, living it. It's better to be a doer of the word. So here's the, here are these guys. They, they did what they did. But then they, they say, what's the point? Pharisees say, and you don't have to be a pastor to take heed to this. You, anybody should. They say and do not. They bind heavy burdens, grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. It's a reference to all the Jewishness of their, of their, of their religion, all the Jewishness of it. Now, the primary thing that the Jews needed to live was Moses' law. You know, there was civil law. That's kind of how they related one in the public. Then there was religious law, what you're doing in your worship and how you're bringing your sacrifice. And then there's moral law, you know. And they would, that was a basic thing. If we just to read the Old Testament today, the, the five books of Moses and particularly the law, We'd be like, okay, we can't argue with it. It's God's word. God's word is God's word. But what we could honestly come away with and agree with is what the apostles in the New Testament said. That's a heavy yoke, grievous to be born. That's what the apostles said. Just the law without any extra traditions of Moses. That's a heavy yoke. It's hard to bear that. That's why when the church got started in certain People in the early church were telling Gentiles who believed on Jesus, oh, you also need to do this that Moses said, and you need to do this that Moses said, and the Sabbath and the circumcision and the diet, stuff that Seventh-day Adventists and some other people are trying to add. When they started saying that to these dear Gentiles in the first century, the apostles who knew Jesus came along and said, don't do that. We couldn't even handle that. Leave them alone. Just tell them to stay away from fornicating and things offered to blood and we're going to write them epistles and they're going to be fine. And that's what they said to them. So the Moses, Moses Old Testament, see we're Gentile Christians in a different dispensation, though it was heavy. Jesus came right through and fulfilled all of it to show there's only really one that can do this stuff that God demanded. A perfect God demanding this heavy stuff, Jesus went right through that. Showed himself sinless up to and died for our sins. But, but, but the Pharisees, they didn't just leave it at that. They didn't just teach Moses. They added on to it. <laughs> they added other stuff. It was man-made. They added their tradition. Not only should you not um, you know, do anything on the Sabbath, don't walk this far, and don't, you know, if they're, don't take shower. I mean, just they added weird, lots of stuff. Apparently 613 extra things, not just for a Sabbath thing, but 613. 13 extra traditions of the elders that the Pharisees added on their culture. In other words, a, a Jew, if he came to the synagogue or the temple, heard somebody, heard somebody teach or read Moses, it wasn't enough for him just to go away hearing that and maybe a little encouragement. He would also be here at some point, the Pharisees saying, oh, and also you need to do this, and also you need to do this, and just pull out some extra stuff out of his own hat, so to speak. It's like, man, I got to do that too. I got to do that too. And, they, and so, so here's what I'm saying. Pharisees, they said those things. They added weight. But if you pull back the curtain of their life, they weren't even doing some of those things themselves. There's certain things they weren't even keeping. They said and they did not. In private, they ignored you ever hear, we can think of examples of this, like there are certain 
We've had to go, we're all going through this masks thing, thing for over a year as a, as a country. And, you know, it is what it is. Um, but it's kind of funny how, you know, they, the, the, one, of the, one of the governors in one of the states was really, 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 really strict on his citizens. And um, I think our governor's been pretty reasonable. But one of the governors of another state was very strict. And then somebody's like, had a news story. Did you see Governor so-and-so? At a, I mean, he was telling people, wear masks when you're with family, everywhere you go. You know, they're thinking, no, I'm not going to wear it with family. Please, come on. You know, unless they're sick, then they're not going to kick them out of the house anyways. But, <laughs> but he, he was saying stuff just like kind of overboard on the mask, okay? I think that's reasonable to do the mask in some ways. But he was just overboard. And then, then somebody had a picture of him at some party somewhere. Right. Did you see Governor so-and-so at, with all these cronies at this party with no mask? And everybody's like, oh, you know. And you know what? The, the, quite frankly, if he wanted to be honest, if I, if I was him and I'm going to have those high of a standards, I have to keep them myself in private also, right? It's only fair. Else don't have them, right? That's what I would need to do. Um, sometimes we hear, I don't hear it as much, but sometimes some of our um, um, certain segments of our political minds in our country really, really are, are, are very uh, concerned about us using gas vehicles and, uh, you know, consuming gas and we use too much electricity and all these things. And, and there was one celebrity some years ago that said, you know, you just need to, we need to, you know, this global warming and, and we just... It's too much. We're consuming too much energy. You can hang dry your clothes instead. And by the way, hang drying clothes works great in Arizona. Yeah. But, um, and that's fine. You should hang dry your clothes and walk and use a bus and, and all this stuff. And this cele- everybody's like, does this celebrity do that? Really? And then, no. And then they say, ride a bike. These other ones, you know, you need to ride a bike. Certain politicians to save gas, and they're like, well, how come you're jumping on that jet? (laughs) Black smoke. I don't really care, quite honestly. I would like a jet. But if you're going to tell me this and you're going to do that, it doesn't work, man. You're a political Pharisee. That's the idea. It's easy to get that way, though, as a person, to say, hey, here's the right thing to do, and then go exempt yourself from it, right? Um, my wife will say, all right, she makes, she makes the brownies. Nobody touch the brownies. And I'll be like, did you see that, boys? Nobody touch the brownies until they're cooled off. All right. You know, I was going to catch myself. You know, Get it back over here. You know, that's my hand. i got to catch. So keep to my own word. You know? Well, see, it's easy to, to say and say good things and then not do them. Exempt yourself behind the scene. That's, that's, that's uh, a way of a Pharisee. That's their manner. It's incumbent on us that we practice. It's the old saying that we have to practice what we preach, right? And that we exemplify what we're proclaiming. So that's their manner. And then notice, uh, this, is, this gets developed a little more. Notice their motive. Verse 5, 6, and 7. Jesus pulls back the curtain and says, here's what they're motivated by. This is what motivates them. Watch this. Verse 5. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. Jesus calls it right out. He says, here's why they're doing this. Here's why they have those phylacteries and enlarged hems of their garment. 
and why they, why they showed up at that gathering right over there and why they get around this one crowd that always calls them rabbi, rabbi. Here, people, here's why they're doing that. They want people to see them, to be seen of men, and that's what bolsters their ego. If they didn't have a crowd, they wouldn't, it, it wouldn't work as much. To be seen of men. Let's consider their motive here and we'll compare it with ours. They want to be seen of men in works, in dress, and, and then this third one is to be seen and heard praised. They want to be seen. Their motive is applied in three ways. And they want to be seen of men in their works. They want to be seen of men in, the, in their dress, attire, I should say. And then, we'll do, and, and then in to be seen and heard praised in front of other people. They want to be kind of have the grandstand there. Let's consider this, what Jesus is saying. All their works they do for it to be seen of men. I'm telling you, um, you know, we, we have a Facebook page and we'll do selfies with our kids and post up stuff. But they, if, they, if the Pharisees were around, they would selfie everything. Did you see me praying? I'm praying. <laughs> when the offering went around, if they were Pharisees, they'd be like, you know. Post it. They'd selfie their offering, what they put in. They'd selfie their every good thing. It's not like they're selfie, hey, my family's my lovely wife, you know. Selfie for self, right? People, <laughs> I, I don't, I, just for the record, I don't care if you want to get a COVID shot. I don't care if you do. I don't care if you're for it or against it. I really don't care. But some of these people are just like, hey, look. It's like, good for you. You don't have to. You don't have to promote that to everybody. What are you saying? You know, they, they would, these, the, the Pharisees would selfie everything. From the standpoint of to frame, this is the issue, to frame themselves in such a way that it appears that they are so righteous. It's not to wrong to take pictures of yourself or let somebody see you or to do something in front of somebody. But the motive is they're framing themselves in front of the people so as to be like, oh, isn't he so spiritual? I saw him give that alm to that lady. Yes, he saw that you saw him. That's why he did it. If he didn't see anybody was around, he wouldn't have given that silver coin or that mite, maybe in their case, to this poor widow. Jesus said, we'll hold the place there. We'll, we'll, maybe we'll flip back and forth. Hold your place in Matthew 23. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He talked about, really, it's your secret service. There's this type of secret service that we should have in almsgiving, in praying, in fasting. And here, chapter 6, verse 1 to 4, Jesus says, Take heed that you do not your alms before men. To be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Now, to clarify, alms is not saying merely a church offering. Alms is, was something that they did to give. It was like giving to charity. It wasn't a tithe. It was giving to those in need. And they would probably just go find a way to give it to somebody. And Jesus said, take heed you don't do that um, before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward. Verse 2, therefore... When thou doest thine alm, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, 
they have their reward. Apparently, some of these hypocrites referring to the scribes and Pharisees, apparently some of us, it's almost kind of laughable. They would blow a trumpet. Everybody says, what's going on over there? Oh, look at that Pharisee going over to that poor guy over there, giving some alms to him. Exactly. That's exactly what he wanted. You know what Jesus said? He got a reward out of being seen, and Jesus said, that's all the reward he gets. In contrast to that, for us, what Jesus instructs us to do is if you're, you know, if you have the means to give an alms, look what he says. Verse 3. But when but when thou doest thine alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. I think it's saying, your left hand's going, don't be like your right hand. Oh, my right hand saw it. Hey. It's saying, just, just be modest about it. That thine alms may be in secret, verse 4 says, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. He's bas- Jesus is basically doing, saying, give at, at the most modestly and at best secretly. The alms part, the charity, I'm helping those um, in need. You know, it's good for you to do it that way because it helps you to do it humbly and it helps to prove what your motive really is. And you'll get a reward. And it, might, it probably helps the receiver too. Receivers don't always like to be the focus of attention, you know. And if they know that, hey, you're, they're not part of your stage you just set up, to get attention and they just know it's just you and them, they can appreciate it more and not feel like they've been used as a, a stage prop for this other person's generosity. Jesus teaches this. He's talking about, again, back at, the, back at their, their motive. Their motive is what we're doing is we want to be seen of men. We have a stage life we want to maintain. But Jesus contrasted that in works. So their motive is to be seen of men in their works. Back at chapter 23, let's follow me over there. Uh, back at chapter 23, their motive is to be seen of man in a second area, uh, in dress. And in the, the whole point of it is to be, appear to be more spiritual. I want you, before we define phylacteries and all this stuff, the point of all this stuff is they're trying to frame themselves on this particular dress choices and the things they're doing with these scriptures that you'll see is to, so that they can stage themselves to appear more spiritual than others and to be spiritual in the eyes of other people. So watch this. It says, um, so their works they do to be seen of men. Uh, verse 5, they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. So their phylacteries, that's weird, right? What is that? It's, is that like, it sounds like some kind of medical thing. What is that thing? You know, um, they actually base that thing, they actually base it on Bible verses, what they're doing there. They base it on Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 8, and chapter 11 of Deuteronomy, verse 18. What they are is, well, let me go back to the Scripture, and then I'll explain what the phylacteries are. The Scripture back there in Deuteronomy 6 and chapter 11, basically it says, Jesus, the Lord says, These words that I've commanded you shall be in your heart, and you shall write them on the post of your house, you shall have them as, as on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes and bind them. And he uses this picturesque language of just having it on you, having it attached to you, having it around your neck, having God's word in you, on you, about you. Okay? In other words, be enveloped with the words of God. The word, in this case, it was 
the Lord through Moses. Have God's word in and about you. And so what they did was they, they literally made little boxes. Uh, they were, apparently, the phylacteries were small leather boxes with small, they would tie them to their arm or their head. Man, when I first learned about this, I'm like, is this, I really thought some Bible teacher was teaching me the wrong thing. Is this a joke? I really thought when I first heard about phylacteries, I'm like, that can't be right. They have a box, a leather box with a strap tied around their head, and it had little, a little box in it. And, it. and it had a little scriptures in it. And they do the same thing on their arm. When I first heard a Bible teacher teach me, I'm like, that can't be right. And I started looking, I'm like, he's right. These people are weird. And so I don't know if they're still doing it today, but they, it was like, I have God's word on me. I have God's word bound to my arm. And it became where it was a show. They'd make them broad. They make broad their phylactery. They make them larger. Oh, that guy really knows Moses. He really knows God. Look, it's obvious he's got the phylacteries right there. The, the scriptures are right there. Wow, so spiritual. And that's what they would do to, to be seen of men. The borders of their garments. So the phylacteries, it was the, the scripture expressions on their body. Then the borders of their garments. Notice this. This is another aspect of dress where they were trying to get attention. Enlarge the borders of their garments. Now, um, Jesus had a hem. Oh, well, let me back up. <clears throat> We're not going to run to all the scriptures. I'll make reference to it, though. In Numbers chapter 15, verses 38 to 40, I don't know exactly how all this worked, but the Lord... After there was some rebellion against some of the things he said in the law and people had died, the Lord told them, hey, you need to put these um, fringes on your garments. It, it was kind of a distinction of their dress. It didn't make them any more clothed or any less clothed. It was just a, 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 a um, uh, what you might say, an appendage. Some think they were like tassels on, the, on some of their garments on the borders of their garments. And the Lord said, put them on there to remind you that what I've told you is unique and you need to do it. That you have this unique spot, these things on your garments are unique. Oh, that reminds me of God's unique word. I better do it. I don't take it lightly. So it was a reminder of the importance of yielding to God's word. Put these hems on your garment with certain appendages to them. Now, Jesus had a hem. The same word that, that says they enlarged the borders of their garments, the same word for border was the same word for when that lady wanted to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. So Jesus, whatever this was that Moses required, Jesus had it on his garment. He had this unique, oh, you would, if, in other words, if you saw Jesus' clothing and you saw a Gentile's clothing and you didn't know, you didn't see the face, you'd be like, that's different right there. Jesus was a little bit different. Not that it was ultra fancy and some kind of, you know, Gucci, ultra. I'm not talking about that. It's just like, oh, that's a little different. Oh, yeah, Moses said to have that. So Jesus had But here's what the, the, the Pharisees would do. They enlarged them. I mean, I don't know what that meant. It probably looked silly. I mean, if it was like the phylacteries, it probably looked silly. They enlarged these borders of the garment. Maybe a lot of tassels, like, you know, on them. I don't know. Now, the, now the high priest had these things that, that were prescribed, but these are just the guys who are not the high priests. They just had this 
extra stuff, uh, exaggerated, uh, magnified their tassels and these appendages to their garments. And, and, and Jesus said, they, they do that to be seen. Do you, ever, you know what's funny about this stuff? Why do people do crazy hairdos? I'm not talking about just something that's a little different. Why do people do crazy hairdos? I remember one time I had a pastor. He was in the store. It was at a, years ago in another church. And he said, you know, I was in the store, and this guy had this crazy old mohawk. Um, and uh, he was in the store, and there was like some people looking at the guy like that, maybe a little kid, and they're looking, and he's like, what's everybody looking at? And the pastor said, I wanted to say you, because that's what you want. And that's what, sometimes we do extra crazy stuff. Why? We want people to look. It's not like, I'm being myself. No. Maybe not. You want somebody to look. So back at this, though, he says they, they enlarge the borders of their garments. So what are they doing is to be seen of men and um, to give the impression that they're more devoted, more spiritual than all the common Jew. Yeah, they have, they have their, what Moses said, but we have the big ones on ours. You see this? We have the big ones. And I want to just pause a little aside here. This has nothing to do with a person being modest, a person being decent. It's not about that. In fact, the word modesty, actually, when Paul used it in 1 Timothy 2.9, he said, I would therefore that, you know, he says that women, that women be adored in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with gold or pearls or broided hair. In other words, Paul said, that modesty is basically a basic, well-ordered, and non-fancy. And what we now use as modest, he used the word shamefacedness. He said modest apparel, that means very basic, not ultra-fancy and well-ordered. And shamefacedness means you got to have a shamed face to wear that or be showing that much. And I had to have a shamed face to be looking that way too. Paul said, you need to have modest apparel and shamefacedness. Has a sense of shame about revealing too much. So this is not what this passage is not about. That except maybe in the standpoint of trying to get an extra attention from that. If you want to consider that immodest or getting extra attention, but they're trying to be. What is Jesus telling us? Watch out for these guys. They do their works to be seen of men. The the phylacteries they do that. Jesus didn't even say it was bad to have the phylacteries. It's interesting. But they make them broad. They enlarge the borders of the garments. Why? Again, to be seen of man. They like the scene also. Notice this. They want to they be seen and heard, praised. Verse 6. They love the uppermost rooms at the feasts, at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the, mar- greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Can we, let's just deal with this right here. It is nice to come among friends, isn't it? Among church. Hey, friend, you know, you get people that around people you love. I, I don't want to be a hermit and avoid people. I want to be around people that I'm loved. And, and I want to be acknowledged as a Christian when I come to church. I hope you do, you know. Some people don't come to church because they don't want to be acknowledged. I want to avoid people. There's a, healthy, there's a healthy thing of saying, hey, I want to be around church family. I want to be people that love and acknowledge me. This is not that. This is, all oh, the rock star thing, you know. Look at them. I wouldn't say rock star, but, you know, look at the Pharisee. Oh, they love the, the verse 6, the uppermost rooms at feasts. They get to have the height. Some of the rooms in some of these buildings, 
They were maybe higher or lower, but the, there weren't walls. You could still see everybody. And they loved to be able to look at the, oh, he gets to sit up there with the high priest. Isn't that an awesome Pharisee? Whoa, I want to get his autograph on my Torah, you know. <laughs> you know. But I, they love that because they, there's some kind of admiration. It, it develops. And the chief seats in the synagogues, the Lord said something. I don't know if it was the Lord or if it was Solomon, but there's a scripture that basically says, hey, when you come to a gathering, just pick a kind of a lower seat. And it's better for you to be in the lower seat and be there than to go in an upper seat, get one of these upper seats trying to be the guy that's trying to get in with all the, um, you know, the, the, the big shots and to be saying, what are you doing here? Go sit back down there. It's better to be, uh, start out lower and stay there than to have a spot you didn't ask for, you insisted on some high seat and then to demote you. But they would try to find ways to get in on where all the attention is on, in these upper seats. And so what does that mean to me? What does that mean to you? we got to watch out about promoting ourselves. I'm not saying you shouldn't tell the truth about yourself in an honest resume. I'm saying watch out about how we promote ourselves. We're in a social media age. Watch out how you promote self. That's what Pharisees did. They, they made sure they were staged in such a way that they were highly praised of men and they got a thrill out of it. And look at verse 7. Greetings in the markets and to be called of men. Rabbi, Rabbi. Um, they kind of, I hate to say this, but it's just true. When I've, even when I've studied this, sometimes the, there's kind of this culture in the Roman Catholic Church that's like this. A lot of ceremony, a lot of rites, a lot of rituals, a lot of garb, a lot of dress. You're like, where was that? You wear a backwards collar, dress like a mother and call yourself a father? That's a little bit odd there, you know. Sometimes there's, there's these developed, highly developed religions get like that. <clears throat> they can get that way. But what's the way of the Lord? Let's just walk through verses 8 to 12. This is the last point. So Jesus said, don't, don't, don't be like their man and don't be the, have their motive. Here's what we need to be like. This is what Jesus said, verses 8 to 12. Call no man, be not called, verse 8, be not called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. The first thing Jesus says is, don't be called rabbi. Be call, you have one master. The idea is I need to prioritize being identified with Jesus only. I shouldn't say Jesus only, but... The idea is Jesus is where, this is my prime identity is Jesus. Here's what I mean by this. If somebody says, what are you? What religion are you? I say, I'm a Christian. And I go to a Baptist church. That's how I identify myself. Because of Christ. Baptist church is a good movement. Now, I wouldn't want to be a part of any of it. But, it, but the idea it doesn't convey Christ like saying Christian. I had a guy one time, and he said, no, pastor, I'm a Baptist, and then I'm a Christian. And I was like, dude, that's, that's, something's a little off, and it showed up in some of his doctrine. That's why he's not in this church. But we should have the idea of, look, I am, I am, a, I am Jesus is ultimately my master. Uh, notice what else Jesus says. Because this is in contrast with the Pharisees. The Pharisees, were they, it was so man-centered. It was so man-centered about the elders and the tradition of the elders and the good old dear elders of the years past. And it wasn't like God. And it wasn't like Christ who just now showed up that we should be bowing to now. It was very man-centered. And so we need to say, my chief identity is that I'm a Christian who believes the gospel following the Lord. 
Next thing Jesus says is, is that we need to perceive ourselves as brethren, verse 8. And all ye are brethren. You know what we need to look ourselves at as? I get to be a pastor. That's a blessing. People are teachers. There's evangelists. But you know, I'm first a brother here. I'm first a brother. Then I get to be a pastor. We're all brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's what Jesus says. Just to be yourself that way. Kind of keeps your attitude down there. No hierarchy. No multi-levels of, you know, ultra-spiritual people. No, you're, you're brothers. Yes, there's pastors. Yes, there's teachers. What else does Jesus say? We, we point to one father, verse 9. Call no man your father, for one is your father which is in heaven. We don't say father in the sense of like some uh, spiritual leader is like so, he is really, uh, it, it, were we exalting him versus a man-centered religion. And then the next thing Jesus says is to put away exalted titles, exaggerated titles. Look what he says there. We'll move through this. Look at verse 10. Neither be ye called masters. For one is your master, even Christ. The idea is an exaggerated title. You know, some people, I don't like to be called reverend. I don't like it. But there's some who say, not to me, but they'll say, most holy reverend. No. There's only one reverend anyways. High and holy. That's the Lord God. It's what it says in the Psalms. Especially a most reverend one. Okay, so that would be an exalted title that I think Jesus said, don't, don't be doing that stuff. Or my Lord Bishop. I'm called a bishop according to 1 Timothy 3, but no way, my Lord Bishop. Nobody should be called my Lord Bishop. That's, that's overdoing it. And so Jesus is saying, put away these exalted titles here. He's saying that for us, and, I, and I'm not saying, oh, our church has this danger of being like this, but just understand what Je- just understand the mentality of Jesus Jesus is keeping Christianity very down to earth, very like him, you know, very, uh, uh, you know, uh, not hypocritical, you know, very basic. Put away the, and then he says, practice leadership. This is particularly for leaders. He doesn't, he didn't deny the fact that there are people who are in, have greater responsibility because he says in verse 11, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. So even if there is somebody who seems like, well, he's kind of head and shoulders on responsibility, okay, well, Jesus said, if you got one of those, practice leadership in a beneficial way versus a monarchical way. So even me as a pastor, I need to have a servant mentality about what I'm doing. And if you are a leader, even in secular leadership, this applies. If you have kind of a servant mentality about what you're doing, you can get along a lot better with some of your subservience, uh, uh, subordinates, I should say. You can get along better with people that way. Having a servant mentality. If you're great in your company, have a servant mentality. Make sure that they feel like, man, I don't... It doesn't always feel like he's like the big shot. It feels like he's kind of like my servant. He's just so beneficial to, to what I'm doing here in my office, in my department. He doesn't blow me over, ignore me, or, or just use me as a stepping stone for his next promotion. Um, Jesus is teaching that. I remember reading a story about these back in the Revolution, uh, American Revolution. There was some, some of our soldiers were trying to build up a, uh, I told you the story before, but they're trying to, uh, build up a defense barrier, a small defense barrier. And there was a couple other men riding on a horse. One in civilian clothes rode past this group of soldiers who were trying to build up this defense barrier. And the leader of this group of men who was working wasn't doing any of the work. He was just barking out calls to them. And they were trying to pick up this big beam. And he's like, come on, come on. He was kind of yelling at them. 
and the, the other civilian man who rode by, or at least one of them was in civilian clothes, came by on his horse. The one man on his horse called out to the man. He says, aren't you going to help these men trying to pick up that, that beam? And he said, sir, I am a corporal. And he said, okay, I'm sorry about that. He gets off his horse and he walks over and he helps the men pick up the beam and set it in place. And then he goes over to the corporal and he says, Mr. Corporal, he said, the next time you need a job like this and you don't have enough, enough men to do it, you can call your commander in chief and he'll come help you again. This is George Washington. And that's a true story. See, he had a servant mind. He wasn't too big shot to get off his horse in civilian clothes and help somebody else. This is what Jesus is teaching. Jesus teaches also to proceed with humility. Verse 12, whosoever shall exalt himself, ah, you're going to get demoted. you get abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. So Jesus is teaching. Here's the way of the Pharisees, wanting to get a lot of attention. They frame themselves to be praised of men and to be thought of as spiritual, even though they may not have been. But Jesus says, no, we don't play that. We're real. We're down to earth. You're all our brothers. Don't be calling somebody most holy reverend or uh, master. You have a master in heaven. If you're a big shot in this group, act like a servant. And if you want to start exalting yourself, you're going to get put down in my, in my, in my book. And if you humble yourself, you're going to be lifted up. That's how Jesus works. That's how he worked, isn't it? He was already exalted and humbled himself and became a man and took upon him the form of a servant. Made in the likeness of, of men, took upon him the form of a servant and humbled himself again and became obedient even unto death. Not just any kind of death, that's not a nice peaceful death, but the torturous death of a cross. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him through the resurrection and the ascension and basically everything else that's coming in the future. Exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that thing, every tongue should confess. And Jesus Christ, the one who is everything but a Pharisee, is Lord. That's the kind of Christianity he shows us to live. That's what we need. And we'll work through some of this other stuff, Lord will, and hope it helps us. Let's pray.